This is the Ed Milet Show. Welcome back, everybody. This young man sitting across from me, I have wanted to talk to for years. And he's just a gentle soul, a kind spirit. But he does have some gifts that I've never seen in another person before. And I'm really interested in unpacking his understanding of those gifts and just maybe some of the gifts we all have laying dormant within us that maybe he's just uncovered a little more deeply than we have. And so he has a Netflix series out right now streaming called Life After Death with Tyler Henry, which would make sense because sitting in front of me is Tyler Henry. Welcome Not even the- Life After Death, it's Tyler Henry, <laughs> which is probably good. We're all kicking, we're here, we're present. It's so glad to be on. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled you're here, brother. I'm so thrilled you're here. Okay, let's get into this. Let's First it. thing I want to know, is there a pressure on you, like everywhere you go, not only do people want you to read them, but is there... Is he real? Sure. Do you have that thing, like when you meet people, almost a, a thing, like I, because I think in every human, like if you're in any type of a public person, you're something you want to make sure people believe you're yeah. authentic and real. But my gosh, with you, that's got to be everywhere you go, people are kind of, is it real? Is it not real? Absolutely. You know, it's kind of different being a public figure in the spiritual realm because mm-hmm. it's not really like being an actor or a singer where when people recognize you, they love your work, they, you know, kind of connect on a more creative level. Mm-hmm. But when people see me in public, I find that I kind of almost represent to some um, a connection with a loved one and that representation puts a lot of pressure you know people come and they're asking me what I'm getting around them and I'm at the supermarket and <laughs> and I've learned you know how to kind of navigate those situations with sensitivity and handle it accordingly there have been times where I've spontaneously shared something with someone and mm-hmm. while it's interesting um it takes a lot of energy, and it, there's a time and a place for reading. So I find I prefer people reach out to me versus walking up to people. Is there just a weight to it, Tyler, just being you? Absolutely. There's also a levity, and that's one thing that I think people find surprising around the subject of mediumship. They think of it as this thing that's dark and sad and spooky and involving ghosts. But if anything, my life and what I've learned as a result of these messages has given me a deeper appreciation for life, a deeper awareness of how to live fully and meaningfully, and to really prevent future regret. That's mm-hmm. been the greatest gift these awarenesses have given me, to say it now while I have the chance. Do you have any insight about that regret? Like if people that you've dealt with either that are here or in the thereafter, like some of the telltale signs of regret? Is it somebody who let fear rule their entire life and they left this place not fulfilling their potential? Is it the way they treated one another when they were here? Like, what's the source, do you think, of regret for a lot of people? Well, you know, it's multifaceted. It it kind of depends on the context of, you know, personal regret of the person who passes or even the regret we feel when someone passes as far as how maybe we could have handled things better. I always tell people when it comes to the loss of a loved one that regret is kind of par for the course. Even if you know your loved one is going to pass, even if there's time to prepare, so often we just wish there had been more time to say more, to do more. Mm-hmm. So even under the best of circumstances, I think regret is very often prevalent in people's grief. And, and I think this speaks to the importance of doing everything we can to try to mitigate that in the here and the now with mm-hmm. those who are alive. By the way, I want to make sure everyone else knows this. He has this book, Here and the Hereafter, How Wisdom from the Departed Can Transform Your Life Now. And uh, I got a chance to go through that. Oh, yeah. And... Maybe I'm strange. I think about death a lot. Mm-hmm. It actually causes me, I think I think anyone that's followed my work knows I do. And yeah. it, actually, I find that it causes me to be more present now because I'm so grateful for being here. I think knowing that's eminent, yes. that reminder, causes me to live more fully mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Do you, you must spend a lot of your time on that topic because it's something you're connecting to all the time? Or do you not even believe in the concept of death necessarily? Well, you know, I, I definitely believe in the concept of death. And I believe that with the grief process, it's normal and natural, even if you have a spirituality, to grieve that physical absence. And I think it's important. So as a spiritual person, I still grieve. I still cry when I've lost loved ones or pets. Mm-hmm. Um But I I think it's just changed how I honor them. I have learned to not Mm. define those who we've lost by their death. We owe it to them to remember them for who they were, for what they represented, for their passions, for their purpose, for the value they gave to us. And I think when we can take that and introduce that into a world that will never get the chance to physically meet that person because they've passed, um, it gives them almost a second life Mm. through our actions and through how we kind of choose to carry them on. It's amazing how God works, whatever you believe. Yeah. I think you know that I have a deep faith. But yes. I, 
So just yesterday, mm-hmm. I have a new TV show that I'm doing. It's not out yet, so I can't get into all the details of it. But it's a show where I help people and their families. Mm-hmm. And anyway, the family that I was with yesterday, um, it's three sons and a mother, and uh, their father took his own life about eight years ago. And there's just been tremendous grief, tremendous trauma. And I almost wish I had met you the day before, you know, um, to maybe bring them a little bit more comfort. But I was curious, do you believe the way in which someone passes Mm -hmm. um, impacts where they go or where they are or how they communicate from where they've gone sure. compared to, say, a peaceful passing. Yeah, I think it really all boils down to intention. I think the basis of all spirituality is intent. So when we talk about situations where people have passed under circumstances that were perhaps particularly tragic, I've had those people come through clear as day, perfectly fine. Mm. And then equally, I've had situations where someone you know goes through a long progression of cancer over eight months, and they pass, and everybody expects it. But they come through a little bit more aware, um, I guess, of, of some of the things they would have done differently. So to answer that, I would say it's less about what gets someone over there. It's more about our mindset that we have before we get over there. Mm. Um, and very often in cases with mental health, I think it's so important to not villainize mental health and you know the brain is part of the body and so often people come who have taken their own lives and you know when that comes through um, there's just such a clarity of understanding that the brain is just part of the body that the brain can get sick just like any other organ mm-hmm. um, and that in essence we are I think so much more even than obviously our bodies but even our brains um, they kind of view it as almost like a, a radio and consciousness is the channel and if the radio is broken you're not going to get a clear signal with the channel so it wow. seems to kind of almost reflect that analogy with the brain that we're more even than than that i had someone on my show that uh he tried to take his own life he actually jumped off the golden gate bridge yes i'm familiar with that one yeah. yes and um <gasps> I've asked, he corrected me in the show, mm-hmm. and he said, uh, this term mental health may be a little dangerous. He said, it's really brain health. Brain health. And if we begin to look at it more that way, I actually shared that with this family yesterday. Wow. So mental health is almost like, uh, you know, someone's uh, a tortured soul or something That's like right. that. But to some extent, it can be chemical. It can be a brain health issue. Absolutely. Right? Yes. I got to ask you this, because I'm just curious about it. Mm-hmm. Are you afraid to die? I still look both ways when I cross the street, <laughs> and I still encourage people to stop at red lights. Um, there's so much that I don't know, and I love that about you. The unknown, I think, scares everybody a little bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. But what I can say is, what I have seen, the glimpses that I've been given, have given me a deep comfort to know that when I do go, though I don't claim to know what happens in its entirety when we pass, I know that I won't be alone. And that gives me a peace. It could bring me to tears, that, that knowingness that not only will I not be alone, but none of us will ever truly be alone. And I know in life how often people feel alone in their grief, and they think nobody understands. But when people come through, they seem to acknowledge more of a, a reunion mm-hmm. and being with loved ones even when they maybe didn't even necessarily feel them. So You're making me cry. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Hmm. Just thinking about my dad who had a tough life and didn't allow himself to feel the bliss he was entitled to when he was here. You know, so many people live their lives like that. He just didn't give himself the gift of the bliss he could have had when he was here most of the time, some of the time, but not not often enough. And one of the things that comforted me when he passed is knowing that he gets the gift of that now. Yes. And... uh, that means the world to me. You're getting to me, brother, already. Oh, Way too early. That's important. I want to put this in. The, we're going to weave this in when I ask you this question because it's mind-blowing to yeah. me. But you've done a lot of readings. You've read Friends of Mine. Yes. And, and I've told you some of them are, were skeptics going in. And then the other thing I should tell you, too, that what I think would make you feel good and make my audience feel good. Prior to having you on, and I had John Edward on as well, mm-hmm. I actually asked some of my most faith-based friends, some of them pastors, wow. some of them some of the most famous pastors in the world and I won't remain they'll remain nameless but I said hey am I you think this is okay you know and I was surprised to a person and like I'd really be interested to hear more yeah wow and I'm open and maybe would help clearly define some of the things I do or don't believe and and so I was a little bit surprised by that it wasn't oh it's blasphemy it's this or that and and I thought how wonderful that was the validation of your work, of all the things I've seen you do, and I want people to see this clip so we will weave it in in the audio and the video here, but was a reading you did with Alan Thicke. And 
it's giving me chills right now. But Alan Thicke, if you guys don't know, is a very, very well-known actor. His son's the famous Robin Thicke. And I'll let the clip play as we're doing this, but as you're reading him, I could see the discomfort on your face, almost like I've got to share this with him. And you essentially warned this man while he was here. Your face is changing as I say it. Yeah. Uh, about his heart yeah. and about his blood pressure. When it comes to like a family and a gene perspective, it's possible that within your family there might be multiple men who end up at a later age dealing with blood pressure issues, but also deal with either a heart murmur or a heart arrhythmia. But I feel like I have to kind of go to heart and this kind of correlates with blood pressure. So just kind of keep that in mind. And he sort of said, there's no history of that in my family. No history of heart disease sure. in the family. Sure. And oh, lo and behold, yeah. he passed of a exactly related issue to what you had warned him about during the reading. Yeah. What was that experience like for you when it was coming through to you? Mm -hmm. And what's it like for you now knowing it was confirmed? At the time, it was just insistent. I had this loved one coming through for him who had clearly died of what I think was, in essence, the same problem that he later passed of. Mm -hmm. And this loved one was coming through and encouraging him to go to this doctor to go get this checked. And he laughed and he said, oh, thanks, Dr. Tyler. And mm -hmm. at the time, I thought, you know, I gave it my best shot. I, for two minutes straight, was just going on about, you need to get your heart checked, you need to get your heart checked, you need to get your heart checked. Yeah. <laughs> and so there was only so much I could do in just being the messenger. But when I got the news, I remember we were driving down the road and I just broke down thinking about his wife, who I knew I had to meet again. Mm. And it was so beautiful because we made a connection shortly after he passed, and I went to Santa Barbara where his widow was. And when I was there with her, the only message that came through that morning was I was seeing sunny side eggs, eggs sunny side up when I'd woken up that morning. I didn't know what that meant, but I went to see Tanya, and as we were walking, I just said, you know, Alan just wants you to know, sunny side, sunny side eggs, the sun's coming out. I don't know what this means. And she said that when she received the news that Alan had died, she was alone. And she said, she said out loud, oh, my God, Alan, the sun in my life has gone out. Jeez. And by giving that one message, that one symbol of sunny side eggs, mm -hmm. <laughs> it was his way, I think, of saying, you know what? The sun is going to come out again. Oh, my you. gosh. Really? So it is the power of a single image, power of a single message. Is that how it comes through to you? Is some sort of an image that you're not sure what it means, but you'll, is it, what do you see or feel? Yeah. I'm curious when this is, by the way, that's remarkable. Oh, the I, entire part of it of you, yes. I could see, everyone that's seeing or hearing the clip, I, you, you probably don't want to be delivering bad news. You want to be delivering, your loved one misses you and this is all sunny and yes. rosy and you've got this thing you have to impart. Yes. But that's just remarkable. What is happening when you're getting this We'll call it advanced intuition for the sure. sake of discussion right now. Is that a fair thing to Absolutely. say? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Inner tuition. You know, we all have it. But I, okay. I think when I do reading, really, it's multifaceted. I say my sixth sense kind of uses the other five senses to communicate. So very often I'll get a physical sensation that corresponds with how someone passed. Other times I'll hear what sounds like a song stuck in my head, but it'll be a name. Other times I'll feel as if I'm having memories, but I know they're not mine. Um, and then I realize, okay, this is someone else's memory. And that's when I relay it. That's usually where you get the really crazy specific stuff. So it basically uses my mind and body as almost like a canvas to paint the picture. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to kind of go back to, or to your earlier point about mm -hmm. faith. Mm -hmm. One of the most beautiful things about this work for me and what I hope to impart in these readings with others is to create a catalyst where people can see the value of faith in their life. And not only that, get to a place of faith into trust. Okay. My work in growing up in a faith-based community showed me and told me to have faith in something I couldn't see, mm -hmm. in a God that I wanted to meet but mm -hmm. <laughs> looked around Maybe not too soon. see. Right, right. exactly. <laughs> but the trust that these validations have given me, the knowingness that love continues on, that the bonds we create in this realm don't die, has validated my faith through trust in such a way, through firsthand experience, that's made me, I think, faithful on a whole other level that I can't even convey. It's mm. beyond blind faith. Mm. And that for me is, I, I think, the greatest form. Let's unpack that. What do you mean yeah. when you say trust? What, how, how has that been developed and what has caused you to have that trust? I, I, I want to understand yeah. that. Yeah, first-hand experience. You know, it's one thing to believe in an afterlife, to mm. believe in a certain afterlife and a certain um, you know, frame of reference as to how we view uh, theology. Mm. But it's another thing altogether to sit with someone and have you know, the message of the sun's going to come out again for you someday and right. things like that that are so touching. But to me, I think, if anything, validate a higher power. 
it mm-hmm. validates that we're not alone. It validates that consciousness is a lot more complex than we realize. Mm-hmm. And for me, uh, is kind of an anti-materialist framework, which aligns perfectly with you know faith and, and religion. So. Anti-materialist meaning it's not about accumulations in your life. Well, so materialism is kind of the antithesis of spirituality. It's it's the idea that everything is physical. There are people who are materialists uh, who essentially believe that this is all there is when we die. This is that's it. Um, and boy, you your know, face changes even when you say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and I get it because I. I I think you know it's a very easy place to live in the idea of this is all there is and that's comforting for some people and then that's Boy, it not, me. It's not me though then i too. get it but mm-hmm. a lot of people do a lot of skeptics cynics you know just would find an afterlife frightening and i get it mm. i get it the unknown is scary and everyone responds differently ebay motors is here for the ride remember when you first saw the potential Then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a full body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See eBay Motors. Hey, guys, I want to talk to you about Shopify. You know, when I started this show, the furthest thing from my mind was doing online business, and now I can't imagine my life without it. So I love Shopify because they're a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. So whether you're in the startup phase where you're just launching your online store or you're at that really big business where you're like, hey, we just hit a million bucks in order stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. They've helped me through every single stage. I wouldn't even know what to do without them. So whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered big time. They help turn browsers into buyers. They convert their checkouts 36% better than all the leading competitors. And I've used them for everything I do online. So every single thing you see that I market online, Shopify is somehow involved. I wouldn't even know what to do without them. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash mylet, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash mylet now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash mylet. So... Dr. Drew, my friend who's been on the show. Yes. You were booked. I said, give me the scoop. <laughs> give me the scoop. Yeah. Right. And uh, he tells me, I'll mess this up. You can fix it for yeah. me, but just I'll set the stage for it. He said, I had him read a very skeptical person. He says he hooked you up to, I think, an EKG and some sort of brain monitor of some type. Yes. And he said it was sort of unbelievable what was going on in his brain. Yeah. Uh, that you had, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but you had some hyperactivity going on in the brain yes. that was incredibly hyperactivity, but you were almost also simultaneously right. in a sleep state. And the reason I ask you about what that feels like is I almost feel like that's a high performance state in general. Yes. Meaning if you take a great athlete yeah. and they're going to, they're in the batter's box, and they've got to execute. Okay. They're in a hyperactive state, but the more calm and flow state they can find themselves in, they yes. can perform. If I want to go out on the stage where I speak in front of 30, 40,000 people and I walk out, I want to be mm-hmm. in a hyperactive brain state where I'm functioning on every cylinder yes. I possibly can. But at the same time, I've slowed things down and I'm as calm as I possibly can. So it feels to me not that dissimilar from high performance and everything else. Do you sense that happening in you? Were you surprised by that reading? And what does that actually feel like when you're doing it? I love that you said flow state because I'm a big fan of Taoism and some of the philosophy there. And there's really something to be said about those activities that we do that make time feel like it doesn't exist. Mm. Whether it's dancing, interviewing, doing Mm. a reading, painting a picture, those activities. Activities that immerse us, uh, I think, are really great indicators of our purpose and mm. and where we can find greater meaning. So, um, in my life, I found that you know my readings are very much like an active daydream. I get into a state where I'm both very much awake, but very much um, kind of creating and opening up a place of a deep inner world where I'll see symbology, get feelings, and have to kind of. Uh, discern between what's you know in front of me and what's coming through 
Hmm. <laughs> did, it, did it scare you the first time, Tyler? How old were you when it happened? So, did, it, did it go, oh my gosh, what's happening? You know, I had my first premonition of my grandmother's death when I was 10 years old in April of 2006. But as time went on, you know, these moments of knowingness, as I called them, would happen increasingly. And it was very frightening. I had a lot less control before I would scribble over my readings. And so they would come to me at random. Um, I would have times of choking, kidney pain. My mom would rush me to the emergency room one time. Um, there were several moments where I was having a lot of medical problems that were very mysterious, and they didn't really understand why. And I've often attributed it to, you know, kind of being a conduit and being that canvas that information gets painted on. Why do you think you sweat so much sometimes? I think there's some deep metabolic process happening, and I'm looking into more scientific research as far as being tested to try to kind of get an understanding of what's going on in the physical body, but it's very clear it is a byproduct of something going on. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people think, could it be the lights, you know, in, in, when you're sitting with the, mm -hmm. the person, you know, yeah. you get those hot uh, lights, but I encourage people to look at that and think like, the client's not sweating, Good so point. why am I? Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it absolutely is. And did it happen to you prior to the lights being on? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so it's definitely not the light. Yeah. Definitively, it's not the light. Yeah. Do we all have a level of this in us? Absolutely. And if we do, how do we begin to reveal more of it to ourselves? Yeah. So I love the word intuition because it breaks down to inner tuition or inner <laughs> knowledge. We don't really think about the origins of that word, but it's a beautiful thing because it is an inner compass that I believe we all possess to some degree or another. Our ability to trust it, I think, is where we can see variations in accuracy. <laughs> some people uh, you know, are, are very staunch in what they believe and what they think and are what we call thick-boundary people. And that can be very difficult for those types people to kind of integrate intuitive experiences. You have people who are more thin boundary people, people who are more go with the flow and kind of uh, let life live life by the seat of their pants. And mm -hmm. those people often have more intuitive experiences. So they part do. of it is allowing it. Uh, there is some really interesting research into thick and thin boundary people within anthropology that I think relates to psychic abilities. Hmm. For sure. Okay, I'm going to confess something because yeah. I've wanted to talk about this with you. And it's a little bit of a risk for me, but I'm going to do it anyway. Do it. I'm a Christian. Yeah. Um, but I've had some senses of, I'm, I, I can't explain it. I'm not sure what it is, yep. but what I would best be able to define is, uh, maybe a past life I see. or a regression or that I've been here previously. Mm -hmm. I'll see something from a previous time in a movie and it'll make me more emotional than I can possibly describe. That seems to have no point of reference to me in this experience here. Sure. I feel guilty when I have them. Yeah because it doesn't necessarily coincide. And I've shared this with friends of mine yeah. that are devout in whatever their faith is. I've got great friends that have every faith. And yeah. I said, this is something that uh, I meet somebody sometimes, like in your case, that I've, I, my, my, the word I would use is this is an old soul in a, in a young person's body. I feel like I'm a bit of an old soul, but what does that really mean? <laughs> sure. And so I've worked through this. It's not caused me to doubt my faith in any way. Yeah. It's caused me to wonder if that's part of my faith that's just not been explained. Sure. Um, or that I misunderstand it or that it, uh, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So I'm just curious. We're all working through our faith as a relationship with this next place, or in my case, Jesus, a higher power yeah. in your life, whatever it is. It's a relationship. And I really feel like these things can ebb and flow through life. There's certain mm -hmm. experiences like, God, what are you doing to me right now? Why would you let this happen? Sure. And that doubt and those questions can cause it to strengthen. Yeah. Do you have those doubts in your own viewpoints, and do you believe possibly that there's been uh, a previous existence for your spirit or soul in a different body? I would say on the subject of doubt, uh, doubt is a beautiful thing. I, I think mm -hmm. it, when faith is true, it can be under scrutiny. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I, I think that's the greatest value, I, I think, of true faith is being able to question it objectively and still believe it. <laughs> so do I. Agree. So I it's think, actually made mine stronger in my case, but I'm curious absolutely. with you. Yeah. No, I, I feel absolutely the same way. Um, no, it's, it's, it's huge. It's Look at you really pondering yeah. that. No, you, I love it. Have, well, the second part of your question, though, because I'm curious mm -hmm. more about the fear of or the aspect of reincarnation because mm -hmm. that's I find that to be very fascinating. I think there's a certain idea around reincarnation that you know people live and then they die and then they're reborn mm -hmm. and then they live and they die. Mm -hmm. I think it's a little bit more complicated than that. Okay. I, I, my belief is that we exist even before we're born. Mm -hmm. So that's a separate incarnation mm -hmm. and then we're born. 
and this is our incarnation, our, our physical one. Mm-hmm. And even when we pass, I think if you think of it as if you exist outside your body, well, that's a different incarnation too. <laughs> mm. So I don't just view incarnations wow. as physical ones, right? They're, Actually, Scripture tells us that we were made in the image of likeness and the Lord knew us before we were here. There you go. Right. So, so. and that's an incarnation. Mm. So my belief is in a collective consciousness. Ooh, we're working through something. We are. <laughs> I love it. I, I believe that we are all essentially mirrors of one another. In essence, I believe we all are like single drops of water. And when we pass, we realize we're a big ocean of consciousness interconnected mm. to what I believe to be a higher power, if mm. not that higher power. Um, mm. And so I, I find that in these readings, um, you know, I, I, I don't put too much weight on reincarnation because I believe that it, though there may be past lives or past incarnations of existence beyond mm. just this one, um, it's really more about right now that matters most. It is. I, I was with my dad when he took his last breath. Wow. And um, have you ever had that experience? Have you been with someone when they've passed? Not in the exact moment. Okay. No. So I was with my dad when it happened. And um, after it happened, it was going to be, this is detailed, but there was about an hour and a half window where um, it was just going to be until the hearse arrived. Wow. We were in his home. And uh, I don't think my sisters or my mom were real comfortable being in the room with him. So I kind of was blessed with that time to be in the room with him. And I've wanted to ask you about this, and I've asked several friends about it. So I wanted to be in the room with them. And about five minutes into that experience, I realized I was not in the room with my dad anymore. And so what was in that room was my dad's body. What was in that room was my dad's accumulations. We were in his house. His car was in the driveway. But that wasn't my dad. Um, my dad's achievements were still surrounding him. That really wasn't my dad. My dad's problems probably were still existing, but my dad wasn't his problems. And so it dawned on to me in those moments, that's not who my dad is. My dad's gone this, in this physical room. And so who was he? And it dawned on me, my dad was a spirit and an energy and a life force. And you can't take those things with you. But you do leave something behind. Yes. And what my dad left behind were the people in that next room. Yeah. Wow. Were my sisters yes. and my mom and me. And that spirit, to some sense, is yeah. another carnation, another reincarnation of it is in us and lives on. Exactly. And it's, I've had this deep <laughs> sense that he was gone, that my dad does continue to live to, in this way through his children, Literally. through his contributions, through the difference he made, through the energy and difference he made in other people's lives. Absolutely. My father does continue to live, but my dad wasn't his body, his accumulations, his possessions, his awards, his problems. Yes. That's not who he was. And I had this deep sense in that moment. Wow. And what an eye-opening experience yeah. to have. Mm. It's so often people, even in the hospice realm, report very much getting a sense of as they see people transition, mm. the moment where you very much realize there's a life there and then... It's just a vessel. And it's incredible to have that realization, but also speaks to the fact that I think we are all spirits, all souls with an ego. And our ego, I define it as our beliefs around ourselves and the world around us. And so those beliefs often influence our achievements, things we do, what motivates us in life. But we realize we are so much more than our ego, that we are a soul, uh, a soul that (laughs) made a difference. And it sounds like he's an incredible man. You do. You... um... You write a lot about that ego in the book. Yes. And um, you have a very small one. Oh, I think, I. you know what, I, I don't. I don't think so. I think I'm, I'm, I, the thing is, I think ego is something to not be destroyed. I think ego is something to be enhanced hmm. with self-awareness. So we th- talk about having a big ego as we think of like people being narcissistic or yes. self-absorbed, right? Yes. A little bit of a different version of ego here. I think if anything, egos are the frameworks of how we respond to the world around us, how we process information, what we integrate as belief, what we reject as not true. Um, so all of those things inform our, our personalities and, and how we navigate the world. And they process that when they die. When I say that, and by the way, I like that clarification. Yeah. There's a there's a huge level of humility to you. Thank you. And to me, usually a, a great deal of humility and the way that I define it is the lack of ego. It's more spiritual. It's more um, an openness to learn and experience and receive as opposed to a dogmatic viewpoint of what you just said of yes. this is the world. This is what I believe. This is accurate. You're, I'm right. You're wrong. Mm-hmm. 
whatever, I'm left, you're right, I'm blue, you're yep. red, all that stuff that just defines the world today. Yes. And I see that with you, and it causes me to be comfortable. Do you think the reduction of that which I just described mm -hmm. opens up the space for more intuition in somebody? Absolutely. Openness from a consciousness perspective, I think, creates uh, an environment that's conducive to creativity. And I believe there's a direct relationship between creativity, the subconscious and the psychic abilities and connections mm. with loved ones. So, mm. yeah, you write a lot in the book about mindfulness. Yes. So I want to unpack that a little bit. It's a uh, it's not new to me, no. um, but it's growing with me. Yeah. And I was I don't know. I was surprised that that's what you wrote about. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm I it helped connect dots for me to your work better. Thank you. But in that sense, talk a little bit, because you actually used the term flow state yeah. in the book. So wh what is what is your definition of mindfulness and how do you practice it? Mm -hmm. For me, my, my definition of mindfulness is the ability to be present um, or mindful of the present. Mm. Uh, I think so often with the beeps and the buzzes of our phones, our schedules, you know, we are constantly distracted. And I think now more than ever with TikTok and media, you know, our attention spans are about seven seconds before we scroll. It's so true. Yeah. <laughs> and so that has created a huge problem for people who do want to be more intuitive. The process of becoming more intuitive requires one to be able to have extended attention, mm -hmm. to be able to bring awareness to oneself versus the stream of consciousness around oneself. So mm -hmm. in essence, um, I kind of view uh, I view myself as almost like a rock on a stream, and my thoughts are the stream, but I am the rock. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's beautiful. So there you go. You try to be the observer of your thoughts, and that is a huge... Dis, like distance that you can create that I think allows for us to take a necessary beat to be mindful, to not be defined by our emotions, and to know how to respond and not necessarily just react. Does that mean that you are not your thoughts? Absolutely. You are not your thoughts. This is huge. Because yes. I think most people, two things, they believe they are their thoughts, Ooh. and they also believe everything they think. Oh, no. Yeah. And, and, and I have found to not believe everything I think. Absolutely. Because a lot of that is patterning. It's imprinting that's been done in places yeah. when I was defenseless and I was younger. Yeah, totally. And my thoughts will lie to me. And so I'm really interested in your opinion about that because I don't believe I'm my thoughts, and I actually don't believe a lot of the things that I think anymore at 52 years old, whereas at 30, I believe he's thumbs up in me, you guys. Yeah. I believed almost everything I thought at 30, and I bought into every negative fear-based, anger-based thought I had. Right. I bought it immediately, and it, and that's when th your thoughts begin to rule your life. Sure. So what do you, what do you see about that? Yeah, no, it's it's definitely fascinating to see how, when it comes to just the nature of habits, of patterns, how they very often can get us into structures and rigidity mm -hmm. <laughs> that sometimes can impede experiences outside of what we're expecting. Mm -hmm. So um, to speak to that openness, it just is, is so important, I think, generally, to be willing to be creative, to be open, to, to be present. And uh, we can only really notice those things when we are in a state to notice them. If you listen to this show for a while, you've heard me and my guests talk a lot about how critical it is to have your wellness goals in order, especially lately with me. So you know how powerful visualization is. When you visualize yourself 1, 10, 30 years from now, you've achieved all your goals. Ask yourself this, am I healthy at that point? In your visions, of course you are. But like anything else, without a plan to get and remain healthy, you can't hit the goal. That's why I'm so thrilled to be partnering with Life Force, co-founded by my good friend Tony Robbins and Peter Diamandis. Life Force is a leader in proactive care. The Life Force membership includes everything you need to understand your wellness and help you make good decisions today that keep you on track in the future for your health. Listeners of my show get $250 when they first sign up for their membership by going to mylifeforce.com slash ed. That's mylifeforce.com slash ed. Take control of your wellness with Life Force and see what the healthiest version of you actually looks like and is capable of. These products and statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey guys, if you need to hire, you need Indeed. You know, in all of my businesses, and I've been blessed to have several of them, I've used Indeed now for a number of years. And the main reason I do it is, I, if you're like me, I don't want to waste a bunch of time interviewing people that aren't qualified for the positions that I have. It's one of the hardest jobs in the world, right? Or they are qualified, but they're not interested in making the move at the given time. And so with Indeed, you have a thing called Instant Match, where they match you with quality candidates within 24 hours. And you're in front of people that want the job, that are qualified for it, and that you probably want to hire. I wouldn't go anywhere else. They've delivered great candidates to multiple businesses that I have right now. So here's what's great. Listeners and viewers on my show, you get a $75 sponsored job credit right now 
to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash MyLet. Just go to Indeed.com slash MyLet, which is M-Y-L-E-T-T, right now. And you can support our show by saying you heard about Indeed here. That would be great, by the way. Indeed.com slash MyLet. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire. You need Indeed. You speak on that noticing thing. Something you do that's interesting. Um, I've followed your social media content more lately. Yeah. You just post a lot of beautiful stuff. Oh, thanks. But I like do. beauty. I like beauty. You do, but it looks <laughs> to me like you're looking for it. Meaning, like, yeah. You know, maybe this seems simple to you because you do it, but I don't think it is in this day and age where we're. Oh my gosh, what did Biden or Trump do today? Or you know, did I get enough likes on my social? Or yeah. this problem I've got to stop and notice the beautiful things around us, the beautiful people, the beautiful things that are being the beautiful rocks. Yes, you, you, you. It, there's got to be a reason why you're posting this and showing it because you could just post a reading every single day of the week if That's you wanted true. to, right? So, yeah. is that do you intentionally? Uh, cause yourself to stop and notice the beautiful things in your life because maybe at one point you didn't or you got too busy or you're trying to send that message to people? You know, it's hard not to stop and smell the roses when you have so many people come through who've passed, who I think on some level (laughs) see the value of our ability to stop and smell the roses even more than we could possibly realize here. They seem to value that more than we really even do. So I don't want to say they envy us, but they almost seem to come through with a, oh, if they only knew how lucky they are to be able to see a sunset, to watch a sunrise, to smell a flower. And that understanding, I have the chills, but has given me uh, a value in the simple things. Absolutely. Uh, it's one of my favorite things anyone's ever said on the show. And one of the cool things is, it's amazing how, like you talked about your dad, you know, the small things, big and small, material objects, things, accomplishments, achievements, the little things become the big things when people pass. And I think it's a really beautiful sentiment. The little you, moments. Give me an example. You know, I think of my, with my, my own grandmother. I remember uh, at the time, I, I wish that I had been a bigger part of her life. I was only 10, but mm-hmm. I remember she had given me this piece of advice that I kind of blew off. She said, Tyler, you know, not everybody deserves to know you, everything about you, the first time they meet you. And that was my grandma's way of trying to protect me as a very oversharing little boy. And at the time, I did not really put much weight into it. But as I've grown older, as I now have lived without her in my physical life, those words ring in my mind sometimes. Words that didn't have much meaning back then, a small thing became a big thing. And it took years for me to see that. And it Mm. took her passing for me to get there. Mm. But that made her life even more meaningful through her death. Hmm. Boy, I have that. As I've gotten older, I think about my grandparents, too, and they've been gone a long time. And I'm like, I wish I would have just sat and talked with Grammy more. Yeah, ask about their childhood. Yes. And I wish I would have you know, asked about their early experiences, their marriages when they were young and ornery. And, you know, yeah. it's so important. Me, too. I really do. By the way, this is so good. for. I'm just so grateful that we're just having this discussion of two friends that millions of people get to listen in on. And maybe it just for today, you know, changes their perspective. I want to ask you about grief. You write about it in the book. Yeah. I said to this family yesterday, I say, one of the things about grief is it's, and this is not my saying, so I don't take credit for it, but that grief is an indicator that love is greater than death. Yes. And, but there are people that, boy, that grief is lasting a long time. And it is maybe their distraction, if we want to call it that, isn't social media likes or Netflix or that, but they're just consumed with this grief of they could be grieving someone's passing. They could be grieving the end of a relationship with someone who's still alive. They could be grieving a previous time in their life that they want to go back to somehow. And they're constantly comparing this time in their life to a previous time in their life. And that causes them to grieve to some extent. And let's just be honest, on the spinning earth right now, you may possibly be the all-time grief expert. So what would you say to people that are just struggling with some form of that grief? Sure. I think viewing grief as a work in progress is very important. When I started this work, I used to think of grief as something that had to be resolved, something that could have closure. And the older I've gotten, the more I've Mm. not resonated with the phrase closure, because I think grief is a lifelong relationship. 
I liken grief to a comma more than a period. It's <laughs> ongoing. <laughs> and I love that you talked about grief in its many facets. You know, there is the loss of a loved one, but there's also loss of relationships, losses of jobs, losses of pets. And, and that alone is something, almost weight, that we have to carry. And some people carry it differently. Mm-hmm. I think there's something to be said about different people having different or varying degrees of pain tolerance. And it's true physically, but it's also true emotionally. Mm -hmm. And there are some people who can navigate grief and be extremely resilient. I've had clients who've lost children, some more than one child, and have gone on to seemingly, you know, live fulfilling lives and create, uh, you know, meaning through that grief. And then there are others who are just seemingly stuck. And it's why I put such an emphasis on grief counseling, uh, brain health awareness, um, community. Grief is a deeply isolating emotion. And I think knowing that there are others who can relate can sometimes at the very least satiate that loneliness. There's something I see in you that I really admire. And it's not the stuff that I have noticed through your work. It's actually being in your presence. Thank you. you uh, your emotions are right on the right here. Yep. You, they're, you're, uh, the edge is the wrong word, but they're right on the surface, ready to be revealed at any given time. Thank you. And I love that. I think that's a beautiful thing because that's the richness of life, the, the giving ourselves the gift of the depth of an emotion, the yes. dimension of the emotion. I see that in you. Or in your, you can cry on a dime. You can laugh on a dime. You <laughs> yes. can feel on a dime. Sure. And I think maybe it's just something for you to think about even when you leave here. Yeah. But it's... Very prevalent with you. And as I become an older man, I've allowed that to move to the forefront for me. I think I was taught as a young person, and I don't think this is gender specific at all, to almost suppress, don't cry, don't cry. Little boys and little girls, especially little boys, but little boys and little girls are told that all the time. Don't cry. And uh, the more I've allowed myself to feel those emotions, the joyous cry and the sad cry, I found that the other ones are magnified. Oh, yes. You become more of a well-rounded individual when you allow yourself to feel. Is that something that you know about yourself? Is that, have you always been this way or is that something you're allowing? Your, I feel like it's a gift to feel things. Yeah, it definitely has been a work in progress. You know, I mean, I'm definitely I'm 27 now and I was a, a silly teenager and a silly kid in his early 20s and made mistakes and just mm. like everybody else. But it certainly has is, is given me that mm. awareness and, and that perspective, which I think has been valuable. So I've been reading a lot about birth trauma. Ooh. So um, that there's some work now that says when um, the birth process is traumatic, that potentially maybe that has an impact on the infant and the child and their personality or fears or anxieties um, when they're young and maybe throughout their life. There's some work that's been done about uh, um, when they're in their mother's womb, the mother's emotions impacting the child, right? And if the mother was going through a stressful, traumatic time, that potentially those emotions are imprinted into the child. Right. I actually really believe that. Me too. There's a lot of emotional imprinting yeah. that we get once we're out of our mother's womb as a child, but I think there can be some in the womb as well. I'm wondering about the other side of it. Mm-hmm. When someone passes in a more traumatic or dramatic way, do you sense a difference in their spirit or energy or soul on the other side than when someone has passed, say, peacefully? Sure. So it definitely, I find, has had a lot to do with intention. I've had people come through who passed away in car accidents or tragically out of nowhere at an early age, and they come through hunky-dory, completely fine. Um, They, I mean, acknowledge self-awareness, that they went through a process, Yada yada. Mm-hmm. Then I've other other times I've had people who've passed of cancer and knew they were going to die for eight months. Their family was around them, and they come through. And sometimes they are the ones who actually <laughs> have a little bit more of an awareness of that they didn't say what they needed to say, and maybe weren't very nice or very friendly. So it's I think less of what gets us over there. It's more about our intention as we are transitioning, and also the life we lived before we passed. And hmm. uh, How do you mean that? The life they lived before, meaning if they lived a well-lived life and they yeah. treated people well? That's the thing. I think you know, a well-lived life cannot be harmed by death. And it was a sentiment I expressed in, in my first book. But I think uh, there's just something to be said about you know, some people live a full life in 20 years and others live to be 90 and didn't really ever live at all. So I, as far as how that's reflected in readings, it's worth so much more than how we pass. Wow. It's more important how we lived. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. You got me right there. Uh, Energy. What does the energy feel like when someone wants to come through for you? Uh, Say you had read me today Mm -hmm. 
And uh, I was expecting my dad to come through, because I've watched this with you. Yeah. Let's say I was expecting my dad to come through, and you're like, uh, I'm feeling like it's an older female figure. Let's just assume right. that. Is this like a, is it a knocking on your energy level? Like, what are you feeling? Because the reason yeah. I ask it isn't so much that I want, you know, to be able to do a reading, because yeah. I'm not going to be able to do that, probably. But I want to know, how do I feel when my intuition's knocking compared to fear knocking? Sure, absolutely. Right? So should I do this? Should I give this speech or start this business? Yes. And I'm like, is this my fear mm-hmm. knocking or is this my intuition knocking to absolutely. some extent? So, so I'm wondering what it feels like. It's the age-old question of how do we discern between intuition and fear, right? Mm-hmm. And trauma and intuition. Okay. Um, hypervigilance is often a big problem for people, and they often conflate hypervigilance with intuition. You know, if we've been traumatized in the same way over and over again, and mm-hmm. we're inclined to kind of see that. Uh, potential trauma in future situations, and that can mm. be a big problem. So, um, I would say you know discernment is is really essential. But the more we can develop our inner worlds, the more we have an awareness of our fears, our traumas. Um, you know, kind of the more maybe the shadow, as they call it. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very valuable thing because it gives us insight to when intuition actually does rise to the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, very often, I, and I have to be careful about generalities because intuition speaks differently to different people. But I find for me, uh, you know, I'll when I do a reading, I'll get a well and it'll kind of just like feel like it's at my core. It comes up, I scribble, I do a reading. But for the average person, one thing to look out for is things that come through repeatedly without much emotion. Hmm. So we kind of have this misidentification of intuition as being a gut feeling. While it can manifest as a feeling very often, particularly in men, it'll come through as just kind of a repeated Inclination, like, why am I thinking this? I can't get this out of my head. Mm. Maybe you're not, might not be scared, might not be excited, might not really have a feeling, but it's a repeated kind of nudge. Mm. And uh, that for me is, is, I think, sometimes a signifier. But knowing your trauma is the most important thing. And if you find that intuition's coming through around something related to trauma, I'm more inclined to think it's trauma than intuition. Gotcha. Speaking of trauma, you're 18, you have brain surgery. Yeah. Um, and I don't think a lot of people probably know that about you, right? But this yeah. man had brain surgery. <laughs> and then during COVID, as I understand it, yeah. you had another pretty close call where you had a lung collapse. Collapse, yes. Right before the pandemic broke out, I was dealing with a respiratory failure and a bunch of complications. And it was it was really an eight-month recovery period as the eight world months. was in lockdown. So, What did that make you feel? You see, you're, getting, you're staring at this mm-hmm. potential... Yeah. body not functioning anymore thing that happened to my dad just yes. as happened in his 70s yeah what was well, I'm curious what your experience was with that cathartic hey, I was cathartic little, yes of all the words you would use reflective i felt like i was almost kind of doing my little life review before i'd even transitioned i found myself sitting there in the hospital bed thinking uh, particularly with the brain surgery when i was 18 you know if i live if i survive this i can't I can't waste time doing things that I know aren't right for me. If I can get out of this hospital bed, I know that I'm going to live in a way where I realize time is of the essence because this brain cyst I have, I still have it. It's in my my brain, and it's something that... uh, Wait, currently? Currently. It was not able to be removed fully, so it came back and has grown and increased in size, and I may deal with another brain surgery mm-hmm. in my lifetime. I may, may deal with several. But to have almost what feels like a ticking time bomb inside you, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but it's in yeah. essence what it is, it just makes it immensely clear how we have to appreciate every day. Mm-hmm. Every day. Because while I know that I could die at any moment, a lot of people don't. <laughs> right. So. You done any re- I'm just curious, random, not in any of my notes, just hit me. Yeah. Big of the brain. Have you done any research or looked into the pineal gland at all? Oh, yeah. So there's a couple different areas that various scientists are looking at. Uh, Dr. Gary Nolan out of Stanford is looking into two parts of the brain, um, separate from the pineal gland that he thinks okay. could relate, uh, the cotament and the putamen, which quite quite a word. But uh, that's- I'll, I'll, uh, I'll Google both of yeah, them. Yeah, cotet, yeah. putamen. Okay. And uh, <laughs> those two areas in his research have, have found to kind of indicate some abnormalities in in the brain on certain people, and he uh, I don't want to speak on his behalf, but believes that genetics could perhaps be a component to what why about, certain people. What, what about you said yes on the pineal gland? I've just done some research about that that says there may be some in, intuitive property to that part yeah. of us. Well, it does regulate aspects of sleep, as far as I yes, understand. That's right. If we talk about the sleep, the study right. and the abnormalities with Dr. Drew, uh, there's a very clearly a connection. Oh my my brain went to a sleep state, pineal gland relates to regulation of sleep states, so there's clearly a relationship. 
You believe there are signs in life? I do. I believe in meaningful coincidences. Hmm. I don't believe everything's a sign. I, I don't believe every coincidence is a sign. If you're looking too much for a sign, are you getting a little odd? You know what I mean? Like It impedes it, absolutely. If everything's a sign, then nothing's a sign. Wow. <laughs> wow. So and I and I tell people when it comes to signs, you know, we wow. all want we all want a sign, right? Mm-hmm. But the way to tell that something is, even if you don't understand what the sign's trying to tell you, is the instance generally will be a meaningful coincidence, but it has to be meaningful. It'll evoke whatever's happening, a feeling inside that's uncanny. And you may not understand what that feeling is, but you'll feel it well to the surface. And you might find yourself thinking, could that be a loved one? And you might rationalize it disregard it, whatever. But those are oftentimes the indicators hmm. that there's something more. Mine are really small. Are they? I never had the need. I just tell you, I didn't, my dad passed. It wasn't like, hey, yeah. knock on the door from the other side. I need to know. Right. I didn't have any of that. I've not ever, I haven't had, I, I'll just share this with my audience because they all know my lives really well. And I just, you, you can hear it too. But so I, I haven't had any need for that. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey, listen, we're all carrying around some form of stress, big or small, and you don't want to keep things bottled up. It's healthy to talk out loud with somebody about things that are bothering you or that are weighing on your mind or just decisions that you need to make. And that's why therapy from BetterHelp is one of the most helpful things you can do for learning positive coping skills, how to set boundaries, and it'll empower you to be the best version of yourself. And it's not just for those that have experienced major trauma. Therapy is for people that just want to work through things and maybe learn to make decisions better, work through an emotion that's not serving them right now. And so if you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, it's flexible, and it can be suited to your schedule. All you got to do is fill out a brief questionnaire. You'll get matched with a licensed therapist. If you don't click, you can switch therapists anytime you want for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash EdShow today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash EdShow. I did have an experience like about four or five months ago and I it was I was awake and it was just very it was a quick flash it wasn't some long drawn out yeah. dream just want to know if you could help explain this to me or if this makes any sense to you um this is what happened and it was I, I'm not daily looking for a sign from my dad I, I'm deep believer in my faith and I'm yeah. very comfortable with where I think my dad is yes. and uh but anyway, I, it's the middle of the day, Tyler, and uh, I had gotten out of my car. I walked into my house. I got into my office. I was about to do some work, and I looked at my computer screen, and um, I hadn't had anything to drink. I don't take substances, so it wasn't one of those things. Yeah. And uh, with my eyes open, though, I saw this person just walking towards me very slowly. Wow. And uh, my dad had a particular walk. You know, you just know your dad's yeah. walk, right? right. Yeah. Yeah. And he got closer and pretty close. And then I could make out who it was. And it was my dad. And all he did, Tyler, is he got his hand on one of his hips and he just waved. <laughs> he just just waved. Wow. It was just a wave. Yes. And then my dad was a gentle, just a quiet soul. Yeah. And then he just, kind of like my dad would wait like when he'd come to a game of mine or something. Just, yeah. You know. And then uh, he just turned around. Yeah. And walked away into the distance again. Yeah. But it was almost just like... Like, hey, kid, I'm, 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 I'm here. here. I'm here. It was a deep, I mean, I wept. I've, I've never said this out loud. I don't even think I've told my family what I just told you because it, it just seemed so nonsensical to me in the moment, yet completely and totally real for me. Absolutely. Am I crazy? No. You know, I tell people all the time, there's a famous theologian by the name of James, uh, oh shoot, William James, I think is his name. Okay. I might got his name wrong, but uh, a famous theologian that basically in the early 1900s defined four qualities of a mystical experience. Ineffability, meaning mystical experiences are usually beyond words. Um, noetic, meaning the mystical experience usually sends one on a, a path of self-discovery or understanding. Um, passive, meaning usually the mystical experience is immersive, so we uh, can't really focus on anything else other than the guy walking towards you. But what's most interesting is the fourth quality is transient, Good. meaning mystical experiences are very fast. They don't <sighs> usually last for a very long time. And I think all of your, uh, what you've described kind of ticks every yeah, box, right? You did describe it, but I can guarantee you can't convey the feeling it gave. I can't. Right? No. It was transient. Sent you down a lifelong path of knowledge and was completely immersive. So, uh, absolutely, very, 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 very real to me. Yes, very real. 
I just wanted to share that with everybody. I, I've never said that out loud. Wow. Ever. So you've had this run on this planet that's a little bit different than most people's. <laughs> yes. Right? And yep. it's, um, what a blessing. At the same time, there's a bit of a burden that probably comes with it as well, being you, which I asked you about earlier. But based on all of this you've been able to download, have you come up with any daily practices that give you comfort, that increase your intuition, that allow you to deal with the anxiety or stress that comes with you? In other words, Tyler, Henry have some daily practices, including mindfulness, whatever it might be, yeah. that um, makes his life richer and better. Sure. What so would those be? Uh, to answer your question, I think it's good to understand as a medium uh, and I believe all spiritual work in general is what I call very anti-structural. It's kind of creative, airy-fairy, you know, yeah. kind of a very, very much fluid and in line with like creativity and the subjective, right? Mm -hmm. um, when I'm not in that state, it's important that I do things to implement structure to kind of act as an antithesis to the anti-structure that I deal with at work. <laughs> so the way that I implement structure is through ritual or routine. Now, for me, that's prayer, but that's also waking up at a certain time of day typically brushing my teeth in a certain order. I'm a little OCD. I love it so <laughs> and I know it sounds kind of funny, but yeah. by doing certain things, even eating the same foods, I'm able to create a certain degree of structure, reliability, mm -hmm. certainty that allows me to kind of, when things are uncertain, <laughs> mm -hmm. be able to exist in that space with the knowingness that I'm going to come home and have these routines and structures that allow for a soft place to fall, that allow me to reinvigorate and, and feel a sense of stability. Wow. So we all can do that, right? We all yeah. can have rituals, routines. They don't necessarily have to be spiritual, but prayer is a beautiful ritual mm -hmm. um, that can kind of help us have deeper introspection. So I'm so grateful you said that. Yeah. That's that's big in my space in the self-help world, but it's not necessarily something I thought that you were going to say. Yeah. So I'm really, really grateful to hear that. Absolutely. No, the, the concept of thoughts and prayers gets a bad rap because mm -hmm. uh, people are like, oh, thoughts and prayers. But thoughts and prayers have a lot more value than I think yeah. people give credit so do for. I, they have the most value to me, yeah. especially it, prayers. Yes. So, all right, last question for you. First off, I've enjoyed this thoroughly. Um, one thing Tyler is not short of is demand for his services. So what I'm, what I'm about to, he's about to tell you some of the things he's got going on. I want you to be able to do that. Yeah. But let me be really honest with you, with you guys. I know literally in my friend circle, probably 80 people <laughs> who are just, they would love to get a reading from you. They would love to be in your presence. You know this, right? And by the way, you've read many of my friends. I texted Nikki Glazer yesterday too, I love right? Her. I'm, yes. like, I'm like, I'm like, hey, what's the scoop? You yes, know, I kind of do that stuff. But, love her. But the, you've got some stuff coming up. I want to make sure people know about. Sure. So one is they should get your book. Number one, they should be following you on social media. But you've also got something you've got in at the Grove in Anaheim coming up, and some other things. We should let them know. Depending on when they listen to this, they could be listening to this in 2025. Still, Absolutely. But let's give them that. Yeah. What so I do tour the country. I do group readings, and it's really a fun time. You get to see the process live and in person. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to be in November uh, going to both Minnesota and Anaheim, and then early December, I will be in Anaheim as well. So, okay. for uh, where do they go to figure that out? They go to your website or they go to so social? The TylerHenryMedium.com is the best way to kind of get tour dates. I don't usually refer to myself in third person, so don't worry. It's kind of <laughs> weird. But the, the domain was taken of Tyler Henry Medium. All right. <laughs> but that's going to be the best way. I also uh, have a service called The Collective where I meet with people virtually, and we meet uh, twice a month for group readings. I do virtual group um, giveaways, and I'm able to connect with people all across the world from the comfort of their own bedroom and uh, you know they tune in wear their pajamas and get readings you're a totally beautiful soul oh thank you so much last question yes Th unfair to ask you it because it's not uh, no human being should be required to answer this question but i just want your perspective on yeah. it someone runs into you at a starbucks and says you don't have to read me yeah but you've obviously downloaded this divine wisdom that you've been gifted to be able to tap into in a way that not everybody has uh been fortunate enough to uncover that gift yet that gotcha. they may have within them. Yes. The meaning of life is <laughs> <laughs> to live fully. Hmm. To live fully. To live fully. The fullest expression of yourself as well, right? Absolutely. And that means doing the inner work and the outer work. Hmm. We did a lot of that today. We really did. I feel like we covered some beautiful territory. I hope this encourages people to think deeper, to maybe consider ideas that they hadn't before, and to never stop trying to be more of yourself. Yeah, you're an important person in this world, and I pray for you because I know what it's like in my little small way to want to make a difference in people's lives and the gift and blessing that comes with that. I also know to some extent 
I can tell you that I understand the pressure and the burden that comes with that as well. And wanting to live up to everybody's expectations and, and I rely on those habits and rituals and routines, particularly prayer to give myself the same peace that allows me to, to give the gift. And any of you listening to this today, just reflect on some of the things that we've covered. And there's something we covered today for each of you that applies to you. Not everything we covered today applies to all of you, but something we covered applies to you. And that's why your work is just so beautiful and remarkable. And, and thank you for giving us all just maybe a little bit of comfort into what this life means and what it'll mean when our bodies no longer are the vessel that we're utilizing for our spirits here. So thank you. Thank you. It's been an amazing conversation. It really I'm has. so <laughs> thankful. I can't wait to do it again. Yeah, me too. I really yes. can't wait to do it. I'm probably going to get in line and do one of these readings too. We're going to probably have to do that. I so would love that. I would love that. Everybody, God bless you. You know what? I don't have to say this today. Share the episode, but I think you probably already have. At some point in the interview, you press the share button, and and I'm grateful that you all do that. It's the fastest growing show on the planet because you guys share it, and because I get these incredible people that, for whatever reason, are willing to sit a few feet across from me and share their insights, routines, tactics, strategies, and in today's case with Tyler, their wisdom and their heart with you. Thank you, everybody. God bless you. This is the Ed Milet Show. 